This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm going to be talking about trust and relationships. This is something many of us deal with in our lives, in our interpersonal relationships, our relationship with ourselves, relationship with family members, and even with friends. And it's something that changes and evolves during different times in our life. When we're younger, we might experience trust with teammates or friends, and we may experience major secrets and trust being broken about really sensitive issues for the first time, which can be a little bit difficult to deal with. And as we get older and deal with relationships and intimate romantic relationships, sometimes that trust can also be broken and have very detrimental consequences. And also when it comes to business and professional arrangements, there can be very difficult things when it comes to trusting people as well. So Identifying different kinds of trust and being able to develop and nurture those things and understand when things are not working is a very important thing to be able to do. You know, it's oftentimes said that trust is a lot easier to destroy than to build it. However, cooperation and conflict management really does agree with this. Some may ask the question, is it easier to destroy trust or build trust? A lot of times, cooperation and conflict management research of these things over the last 30 or so years really does assume that the answer is yes. To get into a little bit more depth in answering this question, it's really important to understand how trust develops and how that process is linked to the development of relationships. Relationships are such a foundation in our life, and really when we die, we don't leave with anything We don't believe with the money that we had or anything. It's really the quality of our relationships that makes such a big difference in our life. And developing trust within those relationships is integral to having a healthy, positive life and having good experiences. So there are some different perspectives on trust. Personality theorists conceive of trust as a belief or feeling deeply rooted in an individual's personality and shaped by early life experiences. So This means that there might be things that you're connected to from a young time in your life. For example, when I was younger and I had certain dance instructors that I worked with for years, there was definitely a lot of trust developed because I would listen to what they say and, you know, receive the results of their training and competition and in growth and in my own performance quality. And that trust would develop because I would really be trusting what they're teaching me and trusting what they're saying for me and that would go on over time and that would shape me as an individual as I got older and be able to maintain those relationships even into my adulthood. I still have a lot of connections with instructors that I had when I was very young. Also relationships to different friends or family members, those are things that can be contributing to that belief or feeling of trust. Sociologists and economists view it as a phenomenon that individuals place on institutions. So 
they basically invest in these different things in their life and then they expect that that is upheld when that's not always the case. Social psychologists also focus on transactions between individuals that create or destroy trust in the interpersonal group level. This is more our interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, our relationship with ourself, and the things that we do that kind of construct trust and whether we're doing what we're really saying, things like that, that develop trust over time. Now, in this episode, we're going to adopt the definition of trust as a state of involving confident, positive expectations about another's motives with respect to oneself in situations involving risk. This definition is based on an individual's chronic disposition towards trust and situational parameters and also the history of the relationship. So we're taking into consideration an individual's bias about trust. What is their definition about trust to begin with? What is the situation that's happening? What are the boundaries where trust is allowed to be experienced and in what ways is trust not able to be experienced? And also the history of that relationship with another individual. Is it fresh? Is there a past drama? You know, there can be all all kinds of different variables. When we look at trust in relationships, long-term relationships depend on cooperation. And to achieve this, individuals need to be able to substitute for each other, influence one another, and have positive attitude towards one another. So this is something that's often developed in teamwork, and this is something that I know I definitely experienced in the dance studio environment growing up, as well as doing certain things, especially when I was in high school, volunteer groups, being on my varsity dance team for the four years that I was in high school, and being with that same group of girls as I went through that process. As you go through different things in life, it's so important to have a support system of people in different realms too. So my relationship or my level of trust in the relationships that I have with the girls that were on my dance team at my school was different than the relationships of trust that I had with the dancers that I danced with at my dance studio or in the dance company that I was in. It was all separate. And also there were different levels of experienced trust within the different organizations like the Rotary Club or the Key Club that I was a part of and um, in the volunteer groups that I did. So it was important for me to be in a variety of different situations, to have close friends as much as I possibly could, and to have a good relationship with myself and be honest with myself during that time because this really did allow us all to experience what it felt like to be there for one another. When you're going through these times in your life, like there are going to be different struggles that you face. There are going to be times where you really need to reach out and talk to somebody or have the support of a friend. And it's important to be able to have that there and to be able to give and receive that kind of trust in a relationship and friendship. When it comes to business relationships, trust is oftentimes a very core issue in the beginning. You know, you're having your resume examined. The person is really wanting to make sure that you're a right fit for the job because they're going to be paying you money and trusting you with a lot of probably industry secrets, you know, their clients, people that they work with. And a lot of energy has gone into building the business that they've already created. So oftentimes there's a lot of upfront trust, a lot of legal papers that need to be signed, background checks, things like that that need to take place before that's going to be engaged with. Many of the times, trust is a secondary concern at the start of a romantic relationship. 
In a romantic relationship, people typically move from an initial state of wonder to evaluation and finally accommodation. Trust evolves at each of these three stages. But oftentimes there's that initial state of infatuation with a person. You're drawn in, you're kind of intrigued, you're curious about their life and what the connection might be like between you. And sometimes you have to make compromises with that other person and be like, oh, okay, this is how they are. This is not going to change. Maybe this part we can work on together to reach more common ground in other areas. That's just going to be how it's going to be. So, but trust is so important in romantic relationships as well. Trust evolves at each of these stages, at the initial state of wonder, the state of evaluation, and accommodation. And it takes root as the parties develop and take risks together. You know, there might be a camping trip or a trip out of town or some time where you're in a social situation or you go out for a meal or, you know, to see how people behave in these different environments and see, are you going to be able to trust them? How are they engaging with you? Things like that. Um, Even, you know, for some couples living together, whatever the situation may be, it, it takes taking those risks and seeing what happens and how people react and how they're going to get along. And it solidifies the relationship and matures the couple as they take that leap of faith. You know, I know in partner dancing, I can also make, you know, kind of a metaphor to that is that when you initially start having a new partnership as a dance partnership, let's say in Latin ballroom or in a ballroom type setting, or just any really type of partner dancing, even if you're doing contemporary or ballet, like a pas de deux or something, you have to initially build a connection with your partner. And you might be doing more simpler steps, simpler lifts, and eventually there becomes an emotional connection there where you're bringing the music to life through your body, you're bringing the performance to life through your bodies, and that becomes something that is developed over time but it takes time of having a lot of rehearsal having a lot of individual understanding of oneself and one's bodies and capabilities so that's a very important thing when it comes to that connection and just as well in our connections with other people it's so important to have knowledge of ourselves know what we like what we don't like and know what kind of bugs us what we enjoy and be able to share that with another person that way there's a little bit less of a discovery process that has to take place and you can maybe be upfront about as much as you feel comfortable with and other things can be discovered along the way and sometimes that makes creating the trust in the relationship a bit more easier because any of those concerns are kind of out on the table and they're able to be discussed and communicated. I also think that developing trust in intimate relationships is important and I think if there are things that are concerning to you that those things can be addressed up front. Say that you have a past of sexual abuse in your past. That's something that at the appropriate time, you can discuss that with a person and be like, hey, like I'm coming from this past. This is something that I'm currently healing from or what have you. Or if a person cheated on you in your previous relationship or someone was really, really negligent or just a bad person to you. You know, I can't even tell you how many women that I have met in my life that have been abused in one way or another from their relationships. And it's just so detrimental to see that. But it is so, so rewarding when I think they're able to 
own that as a part of their past and to be able to heal from it and communicate that in a person that they want to have a healthy relationship with and build that. So having that communication there can actually really create a lot of trust because if those are secrets that you keep inside of yourself and you're not really allowing people to be able to be compassionate towards your situation and approach the relationship from a different angle and a different see it in a different way then and be a little bit more supportive to you then That's also shared responsibility in doing that because another person can't read your mind. And if you're giving off signals that you're pushing a person away for a certain reason, they're not going to be able to just know that, you you know, some of these things, they really have to be communicated and discussed and it can build trust in a relationship. Likewise, I think if there are certain boundaries that you need to have in a relationship in order to feel safe, for example, maybe there's, you know, you don't want your significant other staying out at a certain time or you need them to check in with you a couple times a day or whatever it may be, whatever you need to help you feel comfortable. Um, that can be discussed and that way the trust can develop and there aren't as many concerns. Now, when it comes to building trust in professional relationships, the three types of trust identified in professional relationships are linked and sequential. By understanding how trust changes, grows, and declines, we learn about change, growth, and decline in relationships. Deterrence-based relationships in regards to trust depend on consistent behavior and the threat of punishment if people don't follow through on what they say they will do. We can look at this from a perspective of what's called a calculus-based trust, and this takes deterrence a step further. Further, This form is grounded not only in the fear of punishment for violating trust, but also in the rewards for persevering it. Trust is based on calculation and comparing the costs and the benefits of creating and sustaining a relationship versus the costs and benefits of severing it. So sometimes people may keep someone around in their business that might be a little bit of a liability in certain respects. However, what they offer to the business may be more of a benefit than a loss. So there can be things negotiated. However, it is sometimes more comforting to have a clear contract as far as what's expected of you in certain lines of work. That way, up front, there's there's very clear certainty about what's expected, about certain consequences that may take place, and that is what you agree to. Having that clear understanding of what's expected is very important. And also, you know, there are a lot of good things that come along with having those boundaries set because I feel like when there are healthy boundaries set, people feel a lot safer and they feel more comfortable in their environments to be focused on what they have to get done and to be able to give all of their energy to that instead of wondering what certain outcomes of certain different types of behavior may yield. For deterrence to be an effective threat, the potential loss of a relationship must outweigh the gain created by defecting from it. 
there must be monitoring and reporting between the parties. And the person who has been harmed must also be willing to follow through on threats of punishment. If there is something going wrong in a business or something's not going right, in my experiences, having clear communication with some people that you work with and the people that you need to communicate with is very, very helpful. In any line of work that you work in, there are going to be disagreements. There's going to be occasional drama. There's going to be stuff that comes up that you did not anticipate dealing with. And sometimes you just really have to suck it up and move forward on certain issues. And other times you really have to put your foot down and demand that certain things take place and that certain things change because this is your livelihood and you need to take care of yourself and you need to be able to enjoy what you're doing. And that's important that you take action in doing that. You're investing your time in something and you're either not getting a raise or you're not getting more hours or you're not getting more benefits, whatever that is in whatever particular business that you may be working in. You know, there's an investment of time that you give to that relationship. And if there's trust there and you're building that trust, then you want to know that that other person is also investing in keeping you as well. Otherwise, there may be people that are interested to come scoop you up and have you work for them. Or, you know, if you are working for yourself and you're actually, you know, having employees, then you want to make sure that they're doing their job effectively and that you're monitoring their progress. You're seeing, you know, if they're getting the work done that they need to and addressing if there are any deficiencies in that. You know, I've been in both positions. So it's it's important to be able to be an effective leader in those situations and develop trust by addressing conflict in a constructive way and offering criticism in a constructive way. That way can move forward and trust can continue to be built. Control of another person's behavior is central to calculus-based trust. And a metaphor for growth of calculus-based trust is really tactical climbing, as in scaling ladders or mountains. Parties coordinate their actions as they increasingly take risks and reveal their vulnerability to each other and the other elements that may be present in the situation. You know, when you're building a small business or what have you, you know, the people that start with you from the beginning, if they stay with you for years to come, you know, sometimes it doesn't always happen. Sometimes when you're having a small business and you start a small business, you may go through a revolving door sometimes where people stay with you. And then other people are going to want to leave. And that's pretty natural for most businesses. People that stick with you for a long time and have loyalty and really understand that concept and stay with you for a long time, something that is really priceless and those relationships become so strong and there's so much trust in those relationships because to go through certain things in business or certain things in life, intimately in relationships together, that takes a lot of strength to be able to get through. And those are sometimes some of the best things that you get to experience because the really intimate moments, it's when you're getting through the struggles together and you're able to be there for each other and support each other. When you go through things like that together, you're able to experience trust on a different level because you've been through through hard times with these people and you know that they'll have your back or maybe vice versa you can see how people you know react to stressed out situations and they may not really be able to support you and that can also be a sign in whatever kind of relationship it is it is a benefit to be able to have those types of experiences in regards to climbing and building um, as a team and achieving different things because it allows you to grow as a person individually 
and develop a connection with yourself in a different way, but also with other people and really grow with other people in the process of that evolution. Knowledge-based trust really occurs when a individual has enough information and understanding about another person to predict that person's behavior. An accurate prediction depends on understanding, which develops from repeated interactions, communication, and building a relationship. So initially, you know, if we're taking this in the business type situation, you may look at the resume, you may see what work they're capable of. Typically businesses, I feel like they'll hire an employee for the first three to six months. They may start receiving benefits after that time if it's, you know, a larger corporation, you know, healthcare, medical, dental, things like that. Using that as a metaphor, you want to develop that trust with a person because what a person is on paper might be very, very different than what they are in real life and how they interact with people. How are they in their interpersonal relationships? There are certain things that you can't see from that when it comes to developing trust. And, you know, even in this online age too, there's a lot of people that use online dating apps, things like this. Like, you know, you might review the information that's presented to you on that particular platform to understand as much as you can about a person. Really, an accurate prediction depends on understanding which develops from those interactions in person, communication in person or, you know, over the phone or in different, you know, ways and really building a relationship. You know, I oftentimes think people think building a relationship is just all the good times. And when stuff starts to go awry, then it's road deuces and peace out. There are difficult things that you need to go through in regards to building healthy relationships and developing trust in your life. I've seen that in a variety of different ways. And I think in this instance, I really want to talk about the relationships that I develop as a mentor and instructor and choreographer to my students. You know, there are connections there that are very, very strong. I've been through a lot with some of my students, some of them dealing with injuries, some of them having to reline things, some of them having concussions and dealing with really, really gnarly different ailments, being sick having to reline things, seeing them when they're very, very vulnerable, when they're exhausted, when they're tired, and having to be there for them in regards to supporting them and helping them get through losses, celebrating wins with them, really explaining why their training is so important in the grand scheme of their life, why the support system of their studio is so important in the grand scheme of their life, and helping them really conceptually understand that on a larger level. And also developing a trusting relationship with me. You know, there are things that my students come and talk to me about and share with me that they maybe don't talk about with anybody else. And I have so much gratitude for all of the mentors and all of the teachers that I've worked with. Even if I didn't see eye to eye with all of them, I think I am so grateful to have had so many different perspectives and so many different ideas and concepts thrown my way by different people and just to have had the exposure to it, to have taken what I could from those experiences and still keep a positive outlook, you know, at the end of the day. Sometimes trust relationship gets severed with different mentors and instructors and that can be really detrimental. There are emotions that you feel, depth and pain and sorrow and loss from that and you grow from those times as well and you learn to trust yourself through those processes and you, 
you learn to build a support system of people around you that will be there for you during those times if you really need somebody. So unlike calculus-based trust, knowledge-based trust is founded not on control, but information. And parties cultivate knowledge of each other by gathering data, seeing each other in different contexts and experiencing each other's range. You know, I have to say like working in performing arts, you definitely get to see a lot of different range of characters of people and you get to experience that internally in a theater space, in a studio space, in the context of different scripts, different performances, different really pieces of choreography that have a specific message. You get to really experience that fully and I think that's really contributed to my ability to be able to really enjoy discovering what my potential is in my life and seek that and kind of let that be my quote-unquote drug of choice, I guess. You know, I just, I, I live for it. I love being able to see what I'm capable of and putting myself in different kinds of situations to be able to enjoy that process of learning what I'm capable of and experiencing my range as well as others' ranges. And again, there are things that you learn in regards to cultivating knowledge of each other by being around others, seeing how they handle different situations, and if you will be able to trust them in different contexts, and if you're comfortable experiencing their range. You know, some people take their range into a really unhealthy place. Some people can get very angry and abusive and aggressive and intimidating and that's really difficult to be able to sustain long, long term, you know, in, in regards to trusting somebody, because if you think that they just might be losing their cool on you and going off on one whenever they feel like it, that's not going to cultivate trust. That's not going to cultivate security and it's not going to provide joy or happiness eventually in that relationship. And I think when we look at it, really security, safety, joy, and physical pleasure are the foundations to happiness. And if we're cultivating that in a relationship, doing things that are aggressive, things that cultivate fear, sadness, and emotional or physical pain, that's not going to be something that's going to cultivate trust. It's going to really be a negative towards that. When we're looking at identification-based trust, this happens when parties understand and endorse each other and can act for each other in interpersonal transactions. This requires parties to fully internalize and harmonize with each other's desires and intentions. I feel like identification-based trust is so important in especially our closest relationships in our life not necessarily business relationships or professional relationships, but really in the friendships, the romantic relationships, and family relationships that we keep in our lives. We want to be able to be compassionate towards the other people. And I think in those relationships, we really want to have fun times, good memories, and good vibes. And we want to be able to unconditionally love people. And there are certain things that sometimes people do that may make that a little bit more difficult at times, and that can be communicated. But having this type of trust really does allow that harmonization between people to flow a little bit more ideally. And it really does create that safety net, that support system that we all need in our lives from time to time. There are certain activities that enhance trust based on identification. For example, organizations and individuals can assume a common identity. They can co-locate, 
create joint products and goals and share core values. This can be seen probably in collaborations between people, which, you know, there's a lot of that going on online in regards to social media. You know, I know that I see it with my friends in the vegan community quite often. Um, And even in the dance community and in the yoga community also, people share similar passions. They want to come together and collaborate on that and share from that place. Um, You know, I love being able to see that. I love seeing my friends in the yoga community, maybe that are involved in acro yoga. And they, they each, maybe two of these people have like very incredible practices on their own. But when they come together and maybe they're doing an acro yoga sequence together, it's like such a beautiful thing. So but there's trust that develops there. Also different collaborations between different um, choreographers. I know one of my personal favorites, probably Giannis Marshall and Brian Friedman in their heels collab combo, which was fire. And that was done years ago, but it's still like, I mean, I love to be able to see that when two artists come together and they share their different qualities of movement together and blend that and homogenize it. And it creates something that is unlike anything else, you know, as well as vegan people in the vegan community, they may collaborate on recipes. They might take another person's celebrate their their heritage of where they come from and maybe co-create a recipe that is paying homage to that, but maybe elevating the ingredients and the quality of the food to another level, you know, still educating people on the topics of veganism in regards to the environment, human health and animal welfare and well-being. And it's a great way to not only bring people together, but there there's trust in those relationships and that kind of comes out through the information and allows other people to really be inspired by that information as well. Identification-based trust builds on trust based on knowing and predicting another person's needs and preferences. So these needs and preferences are also shared and identification enables us to think, feel, and respond like the other person. So compassion is so integral when it comes to trust as well. And I think you don't want to necessarily let compassion go, you know, to the point where you're being empathetic to the person, where you're becoming a martyr and you're allowing people to like abuse you and stuff like that. Like that I don't think is healthy. But being compassionate towards a person's situation, you know, maybe if they're not able to text you as much or call you as much or something because they're super, super busy at work and so stressed out with maybe other family things that are going on, that's a different situation. We can practice compassion in those opportunities um, and develop different healthier ways of communication um, that might help both people feel like the connection is still strong and still there, but it might need to be altered a little bit for a certain period of time. And, you know, in that process of having an identification-based relationship, you may be able to know certain things about the person that they like. For me, you know, three things that are very upfront and obvious that are, you know, I'm very vocal about that I personally love and have a huge impact on my life is dance, yoga, and raw foods, veganism. Like, those are things that are really, really integral into my core values as a human being in regards to nonviolence, compassion, creativity, artistry, and also self-worth, inner work, and spirituality, and that connection to yourself. 
those are things that there's so many values that I have that stem from those things that I identify with. And, you know, there are many things beyond that that I connect with. However, you know, it's it's nice to be able to have those things that I do identify with because those are common, you know, base points that I can start with people in regards to how I can connect with them as well. And it's nice to be able to share that with people rather than kind of be going through all of it on my own. I love having community of people around me that I can go out dancing with or experience dance with or practice yoga with or experience my vegan lifestyle with. And even if they're not all friends with each other, that's all good. You know, like I love meeting a variety of different people, even that aren't even into any of that stuff. Most people have a certain degree of curiosity about those things, which makes it really fun to go out and have like rich conversations with people. There's an open-mindedness that is also open to other people's way of life. And I feel like keeping that open-mindedness as well, not identifying too intensely with those things also allows for a lot of freedom and a lot of openness in my life. I love being exposed to others' ways of thinking. And I think that's why I really enjoy social media. I enjoy socializing and um, being able to see what inspires other people and see if that might ignite something else in me. But also when you get to know other people's values, it allows you to be a better friend to them, a better girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, like whatever you are in that relationship to them. For example, for me, if I know one of my friends is going through a really stressful time and or they feel very isolated, if I have extra time in my day and it works, you know, I might even just like drop by their work and like hang out with them for like 10 minutes or something if my schedule allows it. And I know in the times that I've done that before, it just, you know, makes a person's day to be able to do that and really lifts their mood and makes them so happy. I mean, just imagine what you would feel like if someone did that for you. You know, it's really nice to have that experience and to just know people care. And when you develop that trust in the relationship and you understand another person, then that's something that you can really, really start to enjoy over time. Touching on how trust develops, trust evolves over time. And oftentimes a relationship that develops and matures moves from a calculus-based trust to one based on knowledge and finally identification. So we might be very cautious in regards to who we might involve in our life up front, which is kind of biologically set. You know, we don't want to involve things that are dangerous into our life. So there are certain levels of trust that you want to be very calculated about, then develop your own experience and your own knowledge about things, sort of like scientific method testing things, see what works and what doesn't, and then really getting to know the core values of an individual and being able to relate to those. So it may also, as in the case of many business and legal relationships, end with the first stage of a calculus-based trust, and it may not move past that which is fine. And I think that that sometimes needs to happen. And relationship building begins with the development of calculus-based trust activities. If one party is consistent and does not oblige to the other's use of punishment, trust is validated. The parties can then begin to acquire knowledge based on each other's needs, preferences, and priorities according to their value system. If parties do not move beyond the calculus-based trust stage, there are a number of other possible explanations. Perhaps the relationship does not require more than a business or arm's length transaction of interaction. 
or violations of trust may also make parties wary of continuing the relationship. If someone's seeming kind of risky and you know what your boundaries are as far as what you're capable of really dealing with and you don't want to deal with that person's nonsense, then (laughs) if that's how you identify it, then, you know, there's no reason to really kind of move forward and be entertaining other people's way of how they are if that's not something you align with and you really don't want to get down with. If relationships advanced to the knowledge-based trust stage, as many do, there is an overlap sometimes in the developmental stages of trust. For example, knowledge-based trust begins while other people are at the previous level, which would be calculus-based, and continues while they are advancing to the next level of identification. So, It's in limbo a little bit. Only a few relationships really move into the stage of trust grounded in mutual identification. And factors that may prevent this progression include lack of time, energy, or desire to make a deeper commitment to the relationship. You know, I know for me, I have some of my best friends that I talk to literally every single day. And those are really foundational relationships in my life. And those have taken years for me to develop. And I'm very grateful for those relationships. I nurture those relationships. And they are really a source of added stability to my life. You know, I know that I can always have that internal dialogue and really have the confidence to get through many of the things that I'm dealing with in my life. But it's very nice to be able to be there for my friends and offer my insight on things, to be able to bounce ideas off of them, to have honest conversation about maybe some of the relationships that they have in their life, whether it's their work relationships or their boyfriends or whatever. And to be able to talk about those kinds of things with them, you know, it helps build trust. And that is something that I'm really grateful to have in my life. You know, it really does take time. And that's the same for relationships as well. I feel like oftentimes when people jump into relationships too soon, you don't really get to know a person and what their intentions are and what their motivations are and how they're going to react in certain situations, what role they really see you playing in their life. That's kind of the situation that's that's going on and you're not very mutual about things, then that may prevent a deeper commitment in the relationship. When it comes to trust, sometimes there's some shifting up and down. As relationships develop, whether they're friendship-based, professional, or intimate, trust can vary at different times. There can be a variety of different variables and factors that contribute to this as well. So moving from a calculus-based trust to a knowledge-based trust involves a shift from perceiving contrasts or differences between oneself and another person to perceiving similarities. Detection of differences, large or small, can tip the balance and cause a relationship to fall back to the previous plateau. If a girl sees their boyfriend, you know, checking somebody else out or vice versa in a public setting, some people might get offended by that. Some people might be able to talk about that and be like, wow, that's a beautiful person or whatever. Like there's going to be different reactions to that. But sometimes, you know, or if you find text messages on the other person's phone, this is something that happens. There's a woman, Esther Perel, who has done some really amazing work in regards to research on what relationships are in the current day and age. There are so many different ways that people can cheat on each other, whether that's, you know, liking another person's post on a social media or following somebody else, 
or having any kind of a connection with an ex. Like there are so many different sensitivities that people can have and there are many also different types of relationships that people can have if that's what they're into. So it's kind of like you can find whatever really you want, but you kind of have to be very clear about what that is and make sure the other person's on the same page about that or else you're setting yourself up for potential conflict. Things like that, if they're not clearly communicated, can cause a relationship to take a step back. Or let's say if it's in a business decision, if you're not performing or, you know, kind of getting work done in such a way that's moving the business forward, you may not be receiving the type of advancement that you want or, you know, you may be trusted with less work to do because the business owner or director or whatever it may be may decide that you're not a good fit for that. So that's something that you have to remember and be wary of and make sure that you're in an environment where you're giving your best and where you feel like you can really contribute your best. In a similar way, moving from knowledge-based trust to identification-based trust involves a shift from extending one's knowledge about another person to more personal identification. As long as the shift is mutual, the parties begin to take on each other's identity and develop a shared identity. On the other hand, increased pursuits of very different interests diminish the foundation of knowledge and identification on which trust is built. So what causes trust to falter? Trust is a really fragile thing because it takes time to build up and no time at all to tear down. Trust can be broken in a second. Violation of trust leads to instability and reassessment of the situation, you know, which can be, you know, leading to a lot of rumination and things like that at a rational, cognitive and emotional level. The outcome can be to maintain the status quo, renegotiate the relationship or terminate it. And you know, when I think about these concepts, it really does remind me of marriage and divorce you know, because there are so many people that, I mean, the statistics are what they are these days. And, you know, there are a lot of people that decide to terminate their marriages and move on to a new relationship. And there are things that happen in relationships that evolve over time. Once you initially get married, you have children, you add those variables into the mix, then it changes things. It changes the dynamic. If people get more advancement at work, they might not be able to be as present in their their home life as much sometimes. So it's, you know, it's a delicate balance and things in a marriage, if you're with yourself for any period of time in your life, you know, if you're with yourself for five years, you're going to change during that time. If you're with another person, that's going to change over time too. So you want to be able to grow and evolve with those relationships and keep that communication strong. That way that trust can continue to grow rather than break down and need to be completely terminated as far as the relationship goes. And that takes energy from both sides of the relationship as well. Violations of calculus-based trust may cause parties who are already careful about risk-taking in a relationship to drop out. Without a significant investment in each other, parties may feel more tolerant of loss caused by broken trust. So, you know, let's say if there's someone who's you've been working with somebody or dating somebody for a very short period of time, it might not seem as much of a loss to you because you haven't invested in as much in that relationship. Versus if you're in a relationship with somebody for 20, 30 years, that's going to feel very different to break that, you know, because there's been so much time, memories invested in that relationship 
that it may be a little bit more difficult to let that go. Violations of knowledge-based trust, which is oftentimes linked to the prediction of behavior, is unsettling. It's not only because one individual failed to act as expected, but also because the other party failed to make the right prediction. So there's responsibility, shared responsibility in that situation that can be sometimes painful to face, but nonetheless, oftentimes there needs to be a decision made about that. Following such an event, you know, an individual might feel bewildered about the true nature of the other person in the relationship and reevaluation and new perceptions lead to an uncertain outcome. This is one of the worst feelings. I mean, you can just feel sick to your stomach when this kind of stuff is going on. It definitely does take a mental, physical, and emotional toll on you when trust is broken in knowledge-based relationships and in really any kind of relationship. An experience of estrangement is strongly related to reduced willingness to trust. And if the conflict and harm are serious enough, trust may be permanently destabilized. I've had, you know, some experiences in my years of being alive where I needed to cut people out of my life completely because the the trust was just no longer there. There was nothing else that could be done to fix it. You know, I have the way that I see things and that person has the way that they see things and there's there's not the ability to compromise you reach an unsustainable compromise where certain things are not going to be able to move forward and you have to draw the line, cut your losses and move on and be able to rebuild and evaluate things, learn from those experiences and move forward because, you know, otherwise it's, it's just not going to work. And that's a very difficult thing because people want to be like, oh, no, like I just didn't do enough or that person just didn't do enough or trying to blame the other person. Like if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. And you got to cut your losses and move forward. You know, sometimes that is the point that it gets to. And I think sometimes people don't feel empowered enough to make those decisions to move forward in their life in a healthy way for the health of their life, for the health of the people that they can make a positive impact on. And it can be a difficult you know, situation initially because emotionally there's a lot invested. There potentially is a lot invested in that. So also cutting something toxic out of your life and allowing something healthier to come in is a very, very positive thing. So it may be difficult initially, but as time goes on and as certain things, you may be able to trust the universe a little bit more, you know, in that relationship. Because let's face it, there's a lot of times people are like, why is this happening to me? Why did this come my way? What did I do to deserve this? And that can lead to a lot of rumination, a lot of sadness, a lot of confusion. And, you know, to a certain extent, we can analyze things as much as we possibly want to in our relationships with people. But at the same time, there's always going to be stuff that happens out of chance, just randomly, that we did not expect, that we may not even be prepared for, that we will have to deal with. And it's important to just learn from every experience in your life. That way, when those things come up, you're able to cope with it a little bit healthier and not spiral into the abyss and instead really move yourself forward and upwards and keep carrying on with your life as you really ultimately need to because that's that's something that's 
out of our control sometimes. Oftentimes it is out of our control. And what we can control is how we choose to move forward. And it's important that we do. Violations of identification-based trust can transform relationships in a negative or positive way. Such breaches disturb the underlying values of a relationship and can cause a sense of moral violation from which two people might not recover. The first thing that comes to mind is really infidelity when I think about this. If two people really choose to be in a monogamous relationship and be there for each other and be only with each other and that's what they both agree to do, that's a very high level of a commitment in a relationship to really choose to be with one person. Biologically, I don't really necessarily believe that we're only meant to be with one person. I really feel like you know, it is our nature instinctually as mammals to mate and to, you know, create offspring and move on. And we do see that a lot in nature with animals. However, as humans, like we've created constructs of marriage and that's a choice. That's a choice to stay with one person for your life, to build a family with that person. And that should be a choice that both people respect and take responsibility for. When that trust is broken, then, you know, they might say like, oh, like, you know, might have not been thinking clearly or whatever. It's like, that's on you. You know what I mean? And there are always a, a bunch of different variables that contribute to why relationships don't work out. And that cannot be summarized, you know, so succinctly that in such a, a concise way that it's an overgeneralized simplification of many of the different intricacies that contribute to the potential breakdown of a relationship and trust in a relationship. You know, there are certain things that happen in relationships that do not allow people to recover. So I think having that healthy communication with your partner, with your friend, with your family member, whoever you are building that trust relationship with, if there is violation of trust, you need to be very upfront about like, you know, this is confidential information. If you're sharing something with somebody and that's not to be shared with anyone else, that needs to be really, really clearly stated so that both people are on the same page and that trust can be there. You know, trust occurs at several different levels all at the same time. Perhaps all three of the levels are identified as I've identified calculus, knowledge, and identification. They're all going on simultaneously. Relationships operating at a higher level where there is a strong bond of trust on identification may be able to sustain challenges at lower levels of trust functioning as well. So to sum it up, ultimately, there's no simple answer to the question, is trust fragile? It depends because of the following factors. Trust is not one-dimensional, but changes character as a, as a relationship develops. As a relationship develops. The three types of trust are different, but linked and build on each other over time. Depending on the levels of trust that are operating in a relationship, there is no sure way of predicting the impact of untrustworthy actions. In relationships that have not been allowed to deepen and mature, trust is easily undermined. If, however, trust has developed to the stage of mutual identification, disruptive actions may have minimal impact. So when it comes to trusting yourself with the decisions that you make in your life, trusting the universe, God, spirit, collective consciousness, 
whatever you want to identify your power as, trusting your friendships and family members, co-workers. These are all things that can develop at different stages. And you do have influence over these relationships. You do have influence over the shared responsibility that you have to create positive connections with people and to really enjoy the process of doing this because there's so much that can come from trusting relationships and dealing with unfortunate loss of trust in relationships is also a worthy growing experience that we will most likely encounter many times in our life. But always know that there are things that can contribute to creating healthier relationships than others, and most importantly, the relationship with yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. 